Last night I, I spoke a little bit about, there's a little bit of an echo, guys. Can you get the, I don't know what it is. Last night I spoke a little bit about this incredible teaching from the Tukunai Zohar. The Tukunai Zohar, Tikkun 21, Chaf Aleph says that Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is Yom Kippurim. The Tukun Azar says, Azar says that, that there's a relationship between Yom Kippur and Yom Purim. Now, just for those etymologists, those who would like to be uh, grammatically and, and intellectually honest, there is really no connection between these two words, Yom Kippur and Purim. Pur, from the word Pur, we don't even know where it comes from. It's probably a Persian word having to do with lots. And Yom Kippur from kapara, to cover over, to atone, to wipe away, all of those different understandings. But for some reason, the, the Zohar decides to make a conceptual connection between two days that would, you couldn't imagine being more different, one from the other. Purim, of course, tomorrow night, I'm sorry, tonight and tomorrow, there's a mitzvah of Mechaev Inish Lebesumei Bepurya Adaloyada Ben Arhaman Uvarach Mordechai that we have a mitzvah of having a su'udah, of eating. There's a mitzvah su'udah, there's an obligation to eat a, a meal, a festive meal, and a festive meal that has built within it, according to the Talmud, some kind of obligation to be tipsy, to be inebriated on some level. The Gemara says, the Talmud says, that we should be so inebriated that we can't tell the difference between Haman and Mordechai, between a good guy and a bad guy. Of course, on Yom Kippur, we don't eat, we don't drink. On Yom Kippur, it'll be hard, you'll be hard-pressed to find a shul where there's laughter, even though it's a yantif. You couldn't imagine two diametrically opposed, two things so far apart as Yom Kippur and Purim. And if I were to ask you, and ask, stop the average person on the street, which is holier in your conception of holiness? The day when you fast and act angelic, a day where you are in quiet repose as you introspect and reflect upon all of the mistakes that you've made, or a day where you dress up like Barbie and Ken and eat funny-looking cookies and wave groggers around shouting at a bad guy or not, you'd probably say, kind of knee-jerk, and let's be honest here, don't be so fancy with me, all of you mystics out there, you'd probably say Yom Kippur. So what does the Zohar mean and and what are the similarities? And I was thinking a lot about this, and I've thought about it before, and, and it dawned on me this year, especially because Parshat Zachor, <clears throat> this morning we'll be reading a special reading from, from Deuteronomy chapter 25 that has to do with remembering Amalek. Zachor is asher asalacha Amalek v'derech b'tzeischem v'mitzrayim asher korcha v'derech. We are so closely connected to Shabbat with Zachor, which always falls on the Shabbat before Purim. But if Purim was, let's say, Thursday, we would still be reading it this morning. But it happens to be that tonight is Purim, and this morning is Parshat Zachor. So they are so, they're so connected. And I thought, well, here's the first moment of similarity between Yom Kippur and Purim. You can't have Yom Kippur without Rosh Hashanah. And everybody knows that Rosh Hashanah is called what in the Torah? Yom Ha. Zikaron, the day of remembering. They come together like a wink and a smile. 
Yom HaZikaron and then Yom Kippur. And Parshat Zachor, which is also remembering, always falls right before Purim. Aha. It seems to be a parallel. There's remembering and then there's Yom Kippur. And then there's remembering and there's Purim. Okay. And if I think a, more, a little bit more about it, I think that one of the, one of the great ironies, perhaps, of Parshat Zachor, which is this morning and tonight's Purim, is that according to the custom of being inebriated till you don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai, we remember this morning what we will want to forget tonight and tomorrow. We remember this morning radical evil. We remember this morning a story of vulnerability and those who take advantage of that vulnerability. We remember this morning the pain of those who are so ignorant of the divine image in the other that they can imagine, imagine wiping it out. And then we forget. Until we'll forget the difference between the one that we're supposed to remember and the one we're not supposed to remember. Who knows? It's a bit of an iron, a bit paradoxical, a bit confusing. So I wanted to offer this morning, I wanted to offer this morning uh, this, that Yom Kippur is a day, of course, when we, we don't forget what we remembered on Rosh Hashanah. In fact, we want God not to forget us. We say, God, don't forget us. Remember us as you remembered Sarah. Remember us as you remembered Yitzchak. Remember us. And as we enter into Yom Kippur, this day of forgiveness, we want to remember all of the things that we've done. And one could argue, as maybe Avishai Margalit in his new book, Ethics of Memory, wants to argue that there's an ethic of memory that we are obligated to remember. And in some way, we say that same thing to God. God, you are obligated to remember. Not imitatio dei, but imitatio human. Remember us as we are obligated to remember. But maybe there's also an ethic of forgetting. Maybe also, in order for forgiveness to happen, we must always balance this polarity between remembering and forgetting. We must also, we, we have to bring to mind those things that we also need to forget. And maybe Purim is greater than Yom Kippur because on Purim, we remember to forget. That in order to move forward, sometimes we need to take off the mask, take off the story, take off all of those things that we work so hard. Maybe Purim is a day where we give ourselves permission to be ambivalent. Permission to let go of the seriousness that comes with having to remember all the time. Maybe that's why Purim kind of outlasts Yom Kippur to the finish line in the Tukin Zohar's reading. And maybe that's why we'll read this morning about the Kohen, who has to wear various clothing on the day of, uh, during their duties and so on. The clothes do make the man, according to this Parsha this morning. The clothes of the Kuhuna, of the priesthood, are, are very important. And we're going to read in the first Aliyah, which I'll be calling forward for all of you to come fo for a group Aliyah. If you feel called to stand with the Torah this morning for the first Aliyah, that's your prerogative. The first Aliyah tells us the story of how the Kohen was consecrated to work in the 
or one of the moments, one of the moments of the ritual consecration. If you're opening in your Eitz Chaim, we are on chapter 29, verse 19. Yeah, Max, you have to find it for me because I didn't do that work. 513. Thank you, Karen. Take the Isle Hasheni, take the second ram, the Samach Aron of Anamasi, the Hamel Rosha Isle, and Place your hands, Aaron, and your children on the head of the ram. And, and slaughter the, the ram and take the blood and place it on the, the ear of Aaron and also on the thumb of his hand, his right hand, and on the big toe. Uh, this is an early gout thing. This is an early way of... And on the big toe of the right foot, and then throw the, the blood against the altar, and so on. So it says the Midrash. Listen to this amazing Midrash. Lama tu'unin matan b'chunos. Why does the, why do the priests have to, why are they required to have this, this gift, or this, this consecration? Why does it have to happen on the, um, on the thumbs and on the big toe. I mean, the question is not really going to be answered, and it's not a, it, the question should really be more generally, more broadly, what's with the ear, what's with the hand, and what's with the foot? But it, it does identify it as why the Bahu note, but more broadly. Amrabo Seinu, the rabbis taught, Ozen Shishamal Har Sinai Anochi Velo Yelech Elohim Acherim. The ear that heard on Mount Sinai, I am the Lord your God, and thou, you are not to have any idols before me, don't have any other gods, after 40 days heard the voice of the nation saying, make us a God. Tzricha kapara. That needs a kapara. Raglayim she'alu lahar Sinai, legs that that ascended Mount Sinai, that this rite that we read in the first reading this morning is a rite of forgiveness. And I'd like to uh, submit to you this morning that this has, this smacks a little bit obviously of Yom Kippur. Kapara, tzichah kapara. There's a kapara happening in the first Aliyah. There's a forgiveness and atonement. But I'd like to submit that it isn't the kapara of remembering, but of releasing. It's already known, and to all of us, what happened uh, at Har Sinai at Mount Sinai. It's already known that there was a mistake that was made. But I think to some degree the Torah here is wiping the ear clean and the hands and feet clean so that the work can be done. That there is in some way a residue of memory here that needs to be cleansed. That in order for us to move forward, we have to release. Not always. It's a dialectic. It's a tension. We have both Purim and Yom Kippur. But given that this morning is Erev Yom Purim, I would like to call forward for the first Aliyah a bracha for release. 
a bracha for release and a, uh, a consecrating of the ears and the hands and, and the feet towards the future, towards the sacred work of transformation that can be undergone and that can be taken up after we have been let go uh, from memories and from remembrances that we need to release. There is an ethic of memory and there is an ethic of forgetting. So I call forward for this morning for this aliyah, this particular aliyah, the ethic of forgetting. 